started back here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Did we get him, Tim? Okay, good. All right, good. Yeah, geckos are good. We keep them around as well as we can. So, All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're back in verse number 30, so we're just going to read the verse and get going this morning. Verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, we've been down... We've been in verse 30 here now for three, this is our third lesson in it, because we're looking at each, each one of us, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness. This morning, the issue of sanctification, and then next time we'll do redemption. And the, the reason I decided to do this and not just run through and keep moving, which is what most preachers do, is because of the corrective doctrine that Paul's doing here in with the Corinthians. And, and again, with the Corinthians, i.e. also with the church today, because what's going on at Corinth, the problems there at Corinth are manifested or witnessed in the church today and actually in the church of all, time, all the time since Paul's day. And uh, what happens is, is the Corinthians here, they are moving toward human wisdom. Uh, they're devaluing God's wisdom. They're, they're moving away from the Word of God. They're moving toward philosophy and tradition and uh, religion, if you will, human religion. And Paul is rebuking them. Actually, four chapters, he's rebuking them. And that chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, the biggest section in Corinthians. So this is the biggest problem with, in, in the church. And that is that issue of moving away from God's wisdom, God's viewpoint, God's thinking, and into human thinking and human wisdom and human thought. And, and again, you think about where Corinth is. They're in Greece and the philosophers and, and, and their culture and everything. So we've been painstakingly, this is lesson 17, and we're not out of chapter 1 yet. And we got at least one more week, if not another, you know. And, and really the goal in this with Paul is he's rebuking the Corinthians, but then he's also applying the corrective doctrine. And in dealing with this core problem where they're abandoning what God is doing and then adopting human wisdom, Paul begins to, Paul is beginning to not only just say, shame on you, naughty, 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 but here's how we fix it, say, and really, the books of Corinthians and Galatians, when you think about doctrine, reproof, and correction, it's all doctrine. It's just got an aspect of reproof and correction. Here's the bad behavior. Here's how we fix it. So Paul isn't just saying, shame, 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 naughty, 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 and moving on. He says, no, you're, you're in trouble. The reason why you're in trouble is that, well, with the Corinthians, you're leaving... You're abandoning what God's doing, God's wisdom, and you're going after human wisdom. That's why you're in trouble. Here's how you correct it. And how you correct it is, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. And how you correct it is you're going to go back to the cross. Go back up to verse 18. And what Paul begins to do with the Corinthians is, and what he does with you and I is he drags us back to the cross. Because verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And so if you want to see the power of God on display, where are you going to go? To the cross. But when the world looks at the cross, what does the world's viewpoint? Oh, foolishness, see? tomfoolery, verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, uh, <clears throat> both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So what Paul's doing here is he's bringing the Corinthians back to, to that deep, rich accomplishment of all that, 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 that occurred on the cross. At the cross, when Christ died, here's what was accomplished 
And the Corinthians, you guys are going away from that because, again, what's the world's view? The world's estimation of the cross, the world's estimation of a dead Jew 2,000 years or better is what? That's just foolishness. That's silliness. How can, that, how can the death of that Jew 2,000 years ago accomplish anything? It was 2,000 years ago or better, okay? So in the eye of the world, the, in the eye of the world, death is, is, uh, is weak, isn't it? Death is foolishness. Death is, is defeat. Death is the end of the line for most in their thinking, see? But yet, verse 19, for it is written, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Those two categories, the Jew, the Greek, the wise, the, the wise is the Greek and the scribe is the Jew. And then the disputer, the hired gun, the hired guy coming in to argue the points. Where are they? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And again, that's what Paul's doing here is, hey, Corinth, what you're doing is you're following human wisdom and you're abandoning God destroying that very wisdom idea that you're going after. By how does God destroy? See, that's, the, that's what Paul's getting at. How did he do it? He did it by revealing that glorious grand details of all that God accomplished at the cross. And honestly, when you come under here to verse 30 now, the world is clueless of that. They have no clue. They've, they're seeking the questions of the day, acceptance and purpose and all that stuff. And they're never able to find the answer to those questions. They're never able to find the answer to the eternal questions of what's life after death. They can't find it. Well, yeah, but Rick, we got a book over here. Yeah, but it's foolishness when you think about compared to what God's doing. Man has never been able to discover God, find God on his own. See, there's none that seeketh. There's none that's righteous. There, that Romans 3, the stuff here in chapter 2 when we get over there in about two years, you know, <laughs> about in verse 9 there, the eye, the ear, the heart. No way, see, you're fooling yourself if you're thinking you're getting there in human wisdom. They've never been able to find real deep meaning and real deep purpose in life. And you and I will never find that going after human wisdom. And that's Paul's push here. That's what verse 30 is doing. Paul is like, look, guys, you need to, you need to be shook here to remember all the good you have in Christ. So that's what Paul's doing here. All, any and all the answers is found in what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. That's why the cross, the preaching of the cross, is the what? The power of God. And, and so, God, so Paul's going to demonstrate why the cross is the power of God, and he does it in these four categories. But of him, verse 30, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us? For the believer, us, the believer. See, he's, the, the Corinthians are saints. They are saved people here. They're you and I. He's not talking to lost people. He says he's made unto us. Who? The believer, the saint. How, here's how we are to live today. Here's how we are to respond Here's how we are to react to really all the circumstances of life. You see, the Corinthians, they begin to, they're being deceived away from, by good words and fair speeches, Romans 16, 17, and 18, the attack. They've been, they've been deceived to begin to move away from that complete work of Calvary that we have. The all spiritual blessings because of Calvary. They're moving away from that. They're moving away from the merits of the cross. I don't know how else to keep saying it. So what does he say? He's made unto us wisdom. And we started there. And, and wisdom, and, and again, the question is, is, in what sense is he made, wisdom, made unto us wisdom? 
Again, in what sense is he made unto us righteousness? And then, and then this morning, in what sense is he made unto us sanctification? Because there's some things that are happening here. In wisdom, it's that unique aspect of the wisdom of God concerning the cross. And the fact that it's through Paul and Paul alone that God has revealed this unique truth and, and about the wisdom of the plan and the purpose that the Father had set up and designed and then went and vested it in Christ, His Son, and then reaches over and says, Now you that are in my Son, guess what? You are part of that. What great wisdom. You and I, in our humanity, would have never asked God, Okay, God, would you send your Son, die on the cross, and then make a program so we can all be part of it? We'd have never thought that, but he did it. The, the, the verse Romans 5, come over to Colossians 2, uh, Romans 5, 8. But God committed his love toward us, and now while we were yet good people, thinking about him, seeking him, no, a what? A sinner. You see, he loved you, died for you while you were at your worst. That's why religions got it wrong by saying you need to stop sin to, to get closer to God. no. You're closer to God because you're where? In his son, see. I know you guys because I'm just like you. <laughs> All right. Uh-oh is right, you know. And so he, that's, but that's what human wisdom says, isn't it? Do good. If you do good, God will love you more. No, God loved you at the lowest point of your existence. Look at Colossians 2, just a reminder of the wisdom. You see, that deep, Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Boy, isn't that a wonderful thing? All the riches, but not just the riches, the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of, the, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, those deep, rich treasures of what the Father is doing has been what? <clears throat> hidden Him. But we know in Ephesians 1, what did He do with that hidden information? He made it known. So something hid that now is made known is no longer what? Hid. You guys know what geocaching is, where you go out and walk around the wilderness and look for stuff, and you got little things it's hid. So me as a hiker, when I walk by that tree with the, something buried at the base, I don't even know it's there. It's hid. But for you with the, with the devices and know where you're going, it's not hid. See. So what has he done with his wisdom? He's revealed. He's made available to us, Ephesians 1, 8, 9, and 10, all wisdom, all prudence. He's revealed the hidden with the mystery of his will. He, and what did he say? He says, hey, that in that dispensation of fullness of times out there, what is going to happen? You, all the headship is going to back to my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you participate in it. Verse 11, we have an inheritance in it. And that's what great wisdom. The world just sits there and goes with their mouth open. They have, they're clueless of it. By the way, so is religion. You guys come out of religious backgrounds, you understand that. I'll go back to 1 Corinthians 1. How is he destroying the wisdom of this world? He's made known unto us. He's made, no, he's made unto us what? Wisdom. That, ha, he, that has to do with that eternal purpose of God that he's vested in his son. It's accomplished because of Calvary. And then he says, and oh, by the way, you that are in my son get to participate in that plan and program. What, what great wisdom. Do you notice it has nothing to do with you or your activity or your merits or anything? It's about him, what he's doing. That always reminds me. Every time I think about that, I think about the Abrahamic covenant. Do you know that Abraham played no part in the Abrahamic covenant? He was asleep laying on the ground when God made that agreement with him. God says, I'm going to do this with you. You can participate with me. I'm doing it, though. It's very fascinating when you go back there and read Genesis. See, we all think that Abraham and God had a handshake move. No. Do you know that Moses at the burning bush, there was no handshake move at all? Actually, Moses was, was rebuked. Take your shoes off. You're sitting on holy ground. That's a rebuke. 
I'm doing this with you. You've got to think about that. God says, I'm doing this. Just come and participate if you want to. Well, if you're in the body, you're participating because that's what he set up. That's going to be the call. Then he says he's made unto us our righteousness. In what manner? In what sense? And literally, as we looked last time, it's that unique truth, again, about the righteousness of God that's never been revealed before and the power of God on display in the cross. And you know what he says? What God reveals? That I can impute my righteousness to that sinner over there. That does what? That believes. The cross puts on display the righteousness of God in a very unique manner and that it is available unto all those sinners. And then I'll apply it, impute it to those that believe. And if you don't believe, you're on your own. But if you believe, then what do I got? I got this wisdom plan over here I want you're a part of that you need to know about. That's why Paul says he would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Wisdom, I'm sorry, righteousness, redemption when we get down there, and then here's the wisdom. That's all review, okay? Now, now sanctification, the third category. He's made unto us sanctification. And again, the issue here is in what sense? Now, when you think about sanctification, that word means to separate, to set apart. We use terms like holy, saint, hallowed, cleanse, wash, purify, consecrate. It's all these issues of setting things apart. Sanctification. He sanctified the seventh day. What did he do? He set it apart as a holy day, as a day of remembrance about creation. So when you think about sanctification, it is to be set apart as holy unto God. That's what he's doing in Scripture. Now, there's two types of sanctification. So to be sanctified is to be set apart for the eternal purpose of God. What is he doing? You're separated. We're doing this. So you've got two types. You've got positional sanctification, and then you've got practical sanctification. You didn't know there was two types, did you? <laughs> well, there is. So then in what sense is Jesus Christ made unto us sanctification? See, Is it one or two or both? Well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to think here in a minute. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First, uh, so I asked the question, and I'll reserve the right to answer it at a, in, in a little bit, okay? And if I don't answer it, you say, hey, you didn't answer it, and then I'll give you a straight answer, okay? But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So you've got positional sanctification. Let me just tell you, that's what Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians 1.30, okay? Uh, we'll get there. Or you've got practical sanctification. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul using these terms, talking about the, the sanctification, the setting apart, but practical, he's talking about the believer. He's not talking about Christ being our sanctification. He's talking about the believer, the individual, because you have a job in your sanctification. Not positionally, you don't get it by doing something. Now we're on the next step. Look at 4.3, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, and then he goes, dumps. Now, who's doing that? Who's doing your sanctification? That's you. See, that's the individual. Notice, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye... Should abstain. You and ye, you individually, ye, okay, here you go. So you're going le- to learn something about your sanctification. Look at verse 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification honor. You learn something about your sanctification. This is a practical sanctification. There are things that we 
as believers should be building into our inner man, and that's going to influence our lifestyle, the way we live life, okay? That comes in. Uh, come over to 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. You see, when, when Paul talks about sanctification, he's not always talking about your positional stuff, and he's not always talking about the practical what is he talking about in 1 Corinthians 1.30 is a positional issue. We'll see that in just a second. But what you need to understand is there is the practical part where you play a role in it because what are you doing? You're studying. You're putting the word in. Why do you think I, I harp on reading three chapters a day of Paul's epistles? You do that for a year. You've read the Paul's epistles 12 times. Your lifestyle will change. How do you know that? I know it. Because the Word of God works effectually in you that believe. It'll change you. It'll change your language. It'll change, your th it'll change you. By the way, it changes you to the better. Just FYI, okay? <laughs> just in case you were wondering, you know, that stinking doggone rat reading that book again. You know, rawr, you know no, not, not that at all. All right, look at 2.21. 2 Timothy 2.21. If a man... Therefore, purge himself from these. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now, the context is, is the issue back up there in verse, 20, uh, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ, notice, depart from iniquity. And before you go, ooh, what's that? Iniquity. And in, in your scriptures, iniquity is always associated with the satanic policy of evil in some manner or not. What is iniquity? What does 215 tell you? Study, rightly dividing the word. What's the guys done right after that? They've erred concerning the truth, having what? Uh, saying the resurrection is past. They've overthrown the faith of some, verse 18. So what's the iniquity? not rightly dividing your word. It isn't out committing murder and mayhem, see. It's what? It's falling in, well, down in verse 26, you're in the snare of the devil who've taken him captive at his will. You're in the policy of evil, see. You, you see what the context? Now, verse 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold or of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If, now watch, a man... Personal involvement here. You individually making a decision based on the sound doctrine in your inner man, do what? Purge yourself. You do this. The words working in you and you decide to set yourself apart. But you're going to set yourself apart for what? The master's use. Verse 21. And prepared unto every good work. This is an exhortation to a personal, individual sanctification. Now, when you come back to 1 Corinthians, that's not what Paul's referring to. You know how you know? Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Or how I know. I, I, you don't know. Or maybe you do know. I hope you do. You will hear in about 20 seconds, okay? Look at chapter 3 and look at verse 1. So, in what sense is, is Christ made unto us sanctification? Not in the sense of the practical. Because look at 3.1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you. You who? The Corinthians. As unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. What's the condition at Corinth? Practical sanctification? Not at all. What are they? They're carnal. They're babes. See? They, they are not going through the process of spiritual, personal, individual, practical sanctification at all. What are they're carnal babes? And what Paul's demonstrating here is you guys have a lack of practical sanctification. 
Yet Paul just said, Jesus Christ has made unto us what? Sanctification. And again, in what sense? Well, come back to chapter 1. See, folks, the power of the cross, the power of God, it does have an impact on your practical sanctification. We're not, I'm not not saying that, okay? But in 130, Paul is stressing that the power of God regarding sanctification is something more. It's rather in reference to that unique positional sanctification. Because who are the Corinthians? They're sinning saints, aren't they? Look at chapter 1 and verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, how? Practically, or positionally, called to be saints. There's our sanctified word again. With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Who are the, who, the Corinthians are called what? Saints. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Yet they're what? They're carnal. They're babes. Aren't they? They're not practicing the practical sanctification. They're not practicing some mature. So how is Jesus Christ made sanctification? Paul's emphasis is positionally because what's their behavior look like? The practical. It's not there yet. They're, they aren't there yet. They're not in that individual personally applying the word to the details of life and living as they are and who they are in Christ. You guys follow that? Okay, let's go have donuts. Whew. I was worried about that. I'm concerned with you, okay? And that's literally what's happening here. And, and the why. Look at verse 9, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That fellowship, that sharing in common, one of the spiritual benefits of being in fellowship, sharing in common with the Lord Jesus Christ, is this positional sanctification. A position that is not required or is not, uh, is, is not uh, dependent upon your behavior and activity. Because where's, where's the Corinthians' behavior? Carnality. They're a sinning saint. Boy, isn't that a weird word? Weird. See, they're not where they're supposed to be. But, yet what, who are, but they are where? Positionally set apart in Christ. The fellowship, notice verse 9, by whom ye were called, verse 24, but to them which are called, verse 26, for ye see your calling. I told you over and over again, this calling has nothing to do with, your, with justification. Calvinism and all that stuff, they take it and make it that. It isn't here. These are saints already saved people. The calling here is this calling of into this fellowship. Our calling is just a, is, is, is the participation in a fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has been that fellowship and that participation has been achieved by the cross. The preaching of the cross, where the power of God is put on display. And the fellowship has everything to do with what Christ is made unto us. So, in verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. How is he made unto us sanctification? Positionally. It's in keeping with the calling and the fellowship that Paul's been talking about, that calling that God has called us into, that fellowship. Now come over to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6. 
got to find something. I... Okay, there it is. You know how you have a verse go by? Maybe you don't. I do. I'm like, man, where was that verse at? I found it. Okay. 1 Corinthians 6. Look, if you will, at verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. Paul's going to develop this out a little bit here for us. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The emphasis here is not practical. It's positional. And such were some of you. Well, what were we? Well, we were verse 9 and 10. Our lifestyle was the lifestyle of a Gentile, of a lost, of a sinner. You're not that anymore. Knock it off. Quit living that way. Live in who you are in Christ, who are positionally. You see, at, at chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, they are still not getting the practical sanctification down. If he's got to tell them verse 11, actually, if he's got to tell them verse 9 and 10, do you know what they're still doing? Verse 9 and 10. They're not getting, you know, the clues here. <laughs> they're not getting the rebuke. They're still struggling in areas. And Paul says, hey, look. You're, that's not who you are positionally, see. So when you think about sanctification, when what Paul Christ has made unto us, again, in what unique aspect, what unique sense, and it's that aspect of that, of that positional, which then brings in a dispensational component, Okay. By the way, the wisdom brings in a dispensational component. It was not, his, the wisdom of God was not made known until who? Until the Apostle Paul. For had it been made known, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is going to tell us, then the princes of this world would never have crucified the Lord of glory. That's why when you hear the Yahoos say, oh, kid, this has been going on since, you know, Christ's day, they don't know what they're talking about because, or they've never read 1 Corinthians 2. See. More than likely they have. They've just rearranged the verses around to make it fit their ultimate theology of one gospel in the book. See? They don't... Why? Because if Satan and them had known the wisdom of God, the hidden wisdom, that unique wisdom made unto us, the unique truth kept secret, hidden Christ uh, concerning the full, deep accomplishments of Calvary... Satan would have never done anything close to what he did. If he had known anything about it, then the righteousness and the sanctification, he wouldn't have done it. So there's, all, there's a dispensational connection to these four as well. Now, notice the dispensational connection. Go back with me to Exodus 33. And just think about this for just a minute here. This unique truth, this unique aspect has a dispensational element and it's really significant to our positional sanctification. Exodus 33, you've got Moses, they built a tabernacle, They're, he's going along here. Look, if you will, at verse 16. God's speaking to Moses and he says in verse 16, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight, as it is not in that thou goest with us. So shall we be separated, okay, sanctified, I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by my name. Moses comes up and he says, Lord, we want it. we're all yours. How do, we're going to be separated from who? Everybody else. And you know what the Lord says? I like that. You're separated. 
Now, God's already placed a separation in humanity back in Genesis 17 with circumcision. That middle wall goes up. By the way, when the wall went up, you know there was no Jew, right? Nobody there but Gentiles, Gentile dogs. But a Gentile that believed in the God of Abraham would have done what? On the right, actually would have believed in God creator, would have got on the right side of the wall. They're not Jews. They're not Hebrews until after the exodus out of Egypt. Okay? So Abraham, he's a Gentile. God put a division there and says, okay, if you're going to be my people, you're going to be on this side of the wall. So you guys are good. And if you're not, you're on this side. Sorry, you're cut off. <laughs> okay? But you can quickly get over there. So, by the way, on the camera, there's not a mass exodus to the other side of the room. All right? <laughs> I had a guy ask me that one time years ago. When you do that grace and law thing, does, does everybody on the law side get up and move over? I go, no, and if they did, it would probably shake, uh, uh, scar me for life. You know. See? But what is Moses doing here? He's setting in a positional separation. We're who? We're your people. Come over to Leviticus. Leviticus in chapter 20. Leviticus 20. You see, there's a dispense. Who is God's people? It isn't you, Gentile. It's who? Israel. Look at Leviticus 20. I, I was reading this passage, uh, thinking about some things for Friday in uh, Tucson a couple months ago. Look at verse 24. But I have said unto you, so the Lord speaking unto Moses, obviously then to the children. By the way, if you look back up there at verse 22, and ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land, whether I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out. <laughs> I love that. I think about Jonah and the whale. Just spewed him out on the beach. Yeah. You guys go in there as a dirty people. You know what that land's going to do? It's going to spit you right out. So what are you going to do? Ye shall not walk in the manner of the nations, which I cast out before you. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. When you guys go into that land, I'm going to remove the Gentile. You're not going to behave that way. Actually, he's going to later tell Moses, you're going to destroy everything. You're going to burn it all down, even the hoofs left over of the animals. Kill it all. Don't keep any of it. Verse 25, verse 24. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Isn't that interesting? Sancti positional sanctification. Because what kind of a people is Israel? They're a mixed multitude. Some believe, some don't. This is Moses. They're wandering around in the wilderness. They're not all on board. Okay, that's the practical side. But now watch verse 25. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beast and unclean, between unclean fowl and clean, and ye shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living, Thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be a holy, shall be holy unto me. Again, sanctified, separated. For I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Now think about what he just said to them. He has instituted dietary laws within, within the nation of Israel. But notice closely what the Lord is saying to them here. How often do these people eat? Well, at least three times a day. Some of us eat like ten times a day. I get it. You know, some, they're, they're constantly eating. And when they constantly eat, what are they constantly having to think about? Clean? And unclean. Who's clean? They are. Who's unclean? Gentiles. You're not to mess with them. You're, you're separated from other people. You see, it is, there's nothing wrong with bacon, health-wise. Sorry. 
I know all you guys get your little websites out. You know, in two months, that same website will say that eating pig over a spit is good. It just it's phenomenal to me the how one you know eggs don't eat eggs. Now you eat eggs, but you can only eat the brown ones. I'm like the brown ones. What's the brown one? I read a thing, a brown egg. What is that? You know, now you gotta. Well, it's cage free. You know, they're always they're all cage free. You know, eventually. <laughs> anyway, but well, no, it's this is that. You know, my Linda's like, shut up, move on, move on. You know, but we just get duped. Do you know? You, you know, organic. Do you know that everything you eat is organic? This isn't organic. We used to, in the produce department, people would, where's your organic? I would say, don't panic. It's all organic. <laughs> it's all grown to eat. Okay, where's your chemical free? None of it. Even the organic has got a little chemical on it. Maybe not, maybe a different chemical, but it's got something on it. You know how you know? Because you got the leafy lettuce sitting there and the bug didn't get it. You didn't think about that. You know, it's just... What are these guys? Let's get back in the passage, okay? Yeah, I, I don't know about you. I think about stuff like that. You know, people are just easily duped, I think, sometimes, in some of it. Because next year it'll change. This year it's this. Next year, anyway, beef. Can't eat beef. Why? You got to eat plant based beef. Blech. You know, I did that. I ordered a burger at that impossible burger at Burger King by accident. I just ordered a number and I went and didn't read it. It wasn't and I I all I gagged and threw it all up. It's like ugh. Now if you like them, I'm sorry, that's you. I'm talking about me. It's not a judgment. All right? But anyway, what are they what did God put in front of them? Clean and unclean. The dietary law. How often do they eat? 24-7, three times a day at least. Then you got the snacks and you got all that stuff. And what are they doing? Every time they eat, they're reminded of their sanctification positionally. They're reminded of that special separated status of who they are. They're reminded daily, not just once every now and then, not just once or three times a year. They're reminded daily that God is doing something with them, setting a, a difference between clean, the Jews, my people, and the unclean, the Gentiles, heathen. And all day long they are reminded of their separation, of their sanctification. You see, Israel was separated by covenant. God had made a covenant God declared them to be this way, clean, for his personal use. And then he turns and teaches that positional truth to Israel. And one of the mechanisms he uses is the dietary law, the dietary rules. There's nothing wrong with shrimp and lobster and all that good stuff. There's nothing wrong with bass and trout. But what did it do? It said, you're going to eat this and not that. Why? Because you're mine. So there's a positional truth here. There's a dispensational truth because how long did that truth last? Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. It lasted a long time, didn't it? It started with Moses, and here's Peter in Acts 10. Now, by the way, Acts 10 is after Acts what? 9, which is after Acts 7. So where are we dispensationally in Acts 10? We're in the beginning days of the dispensation of grace. And what does old Pete say? Acts chapter 10, verse number uh, 11, verse 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up from the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him. And as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and files of the air. So they're all mixed in together. Well, what was the Jew to do when, they, when, animal, when the unclean touched the clean? You don't eat any of it, right? 
So the, and there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have, what's that word? Never, 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 ever, 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 never have I say, eaten anything that is common or unclean. How long has that, that diet, how long has Peter been thinking on his positional separate sanctification? Every day of his life. He never stopped. Verse 15, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now come over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. You see, Peter, in the early days of the dispensation of grace, was what? Still holding on to that law, the rule. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, Paul and them, they go have their big meeting down in verse number 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, so this, this is not the same event. This is after the Acts, 2, the Acts 15, Galatians 2 event. How do you know that? We'll read verse 11. But when Peter was come to where? The meeting in Galatians 2, 1 to 10 is in Jerusalem. This is in Antioch. So it's some time. What did Peter do? I withstood him. I'm sorry, what did Paul do? I withstood him to the face because he was blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Uh-oh. Wait a second. Acts 10, Peter went going to go to the Gentile Cornelius. I haven't touched that unclean thing. Now, what's Peter doing? After perceiving the grace and the dispensational change, what's Peter doing now? He's sitting down at the table eating, eating BLTs and pork rinds with the Gentiles. What happened? Peter understood what? Dispensationally, we've lost our positional separation. Now it's going everywhere else. See what's happened. By the way, they, certain of the, from James come, the religious crowd, the law keepers. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. I mean, Peter's move away, dispensational to deny, Peter's denying dispensational truth here. He ought to know better. But the law, the religious crowd, James, the law keepers, Acts 22, they come in. The intimidation of religion causes Peter to move away. But not only that, it caused others to do it, so much so that even Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man, got carried away. And I know what people say, oh, Barnabas left because of family squabble. No, Barnabas left over a doctrinal squabble. That's Paul's words. Luke has the family dispute. So they're both contained together. Yeah, but Paul says the reason that Barnabas left me wasn't family problems. It was a doctrinal problem. Do you know why you lose family members when you tell them about the doctrine, the sound doctrine? It's a doctrinal problem. It isn't a family problem. It's doctrinal. Anyway, come to Acts 26. So Peter was carrying on Acts 26 with Paul here. Peter up to Paul and up to under, coming to understand the grace, the message, the dispensational stuff with Paul, Peter's doing what? I ain't touched an unclean thing a day in my life. And how dare you? Lord, how? I could just see Pete because Pete got quick, mad, quick. How dare you even suggest that I would eat that mess? You know? Who eats pigeon? You know? But watch Paul, Acts 26. He's recounting in, uh, to Agrippa the conversion, his, but verse 16, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, that's the unbelieving Jew, and from the Gentile, unto, unto whom now I send thee. On the road to Damascus, you have Paul's conversion, 
and commissioning happening in Acts 9. Not 13, not 16, not 28, Acts 9. Now watch verse 18. What's he going to do? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Stop there. That means that Paul got his gospel in Acts 9. That's what that means. How else would anyone ever understand forgiveness of sins unless they understood the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Follow that? He couldn't have said, you got forgiveness of sins if you... No, why do I have forgiveness of sins, Paul? Because Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. See? Now, now watch, and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Notice, how are, how are we sanctified today? Not by covenant, I'm an Israelite, so I get it, but by what? By faith. Time past, you're sanctified by covenant, being a part of Israel. If you want to be, if you're a Gentile and you want to be a part of Israel in the Old Testament, you can bless them like Rahab did, or, or, or you can go and do what Nineveh did with, jo- with Jonah and the whole, sit, the whole town is converted. You can go through, you can get circumcised, you can, you can come and join. You got, there's doors in the wall to, for the Gentile to go through. Or today, what are we? By faith. That's a dispensational difference. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 1, I'll actually let you out maybe five minutes here early. Verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. Positionally, not practically. You've you got to work that out. You've got to take the word in, the word works in you that believe, and get that life living in you, okay? And then next, so positionally, how are we there? By faith. We're not there because God promised it to, to you because you were living in, in, in Arizona at the moment. All those in Arizona. No, he didn't. No. By faith. So the power of God is on display at the cross. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you guys, I could just see him. You idiots. You're out here chasing the answers and all of this human stuff, and the answer is sitting right there in you the whole time. Leave that and get back over here to where you belong. Leave that and let's go back to Calvary. Now, we got one more, and that's the issue of redemption. Okay? And we'll do that next time. The whole goal of it is verse 31. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory where? In the Lord. That's the problem at Corinth is they began to glory in the human wisdom. And he says, verse 29, there no flesh should glory in his presence. No. You need to be glorying in the right place. And that's Calvary. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you that you're made unto us. Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And that truth and the glorious truth of all of that, we just rest in it, live in it, and rejoice in it. In your name we pray. Amen.